Welcome back to The Federal Drive with Tom Temin here on Federal News Network. The Air Force tests airplanes before it buys them. Now it's testing software programming tools before buying them. Its goal is to establish the best tools for modernization efforts, both for Air Force programmers and for contractors. Here with more on the Digital Tools for All initiative, the lead program manager for the Air Force Digital Transformation Office, Vince Pecorero. Vince, good to have you with us. Yeah, good to be here, Tom. Thanks for inviting me. Is this primarily a program for the acquisition of software or for the use of software or maybe a little of both? Definitely a little bit of both. So this is a maybe a new idea on how the government should interact with industry and where the bills should get paid at. No one's really questioning whether or not the government should have a role in the digital space. We know we have to to be competitive with China. We have to be using all the cutting edge digital tools because they are and because they make us a lot faster. But then we have this huge bureaucratic procurement process that we have to live through, the POM and you know future planning five years out. And it's kind of an impediment to getting cutting edge digital tools, especially when you know five years from now, the tool that I need isn't written yet, hasn't been created. So we need to think differently about how we can get all the tools inside the government so we can leverage them and then what's a sustainable business model for the tool vendors on the back end of that that can help support them and also provide them something I call like a virtuous cycle. You know, it's a lot of work to sell to the federal government. It's not an easy task. We don't make it easy, especially for a new cutting edge tool vendor to get market share. So this virtuous cycle that I think this model creates will help give them the ability to focus on their software focus on the user experience of their software, focus on the connectivity and their interoperability of the software and their tools and the training they provide their tools to help get broader adoption and get them out of the business to try and sell the government. That's just a really hard thing to do. And just a couple of definitions. When you say digital tools, I said programming tools, but tell us what you mean by digital tools. When we think of digital tools, think about model-based system engineering. Think about open architecture standards and things of that sort. This Tools for All programmer initiative that we're trying to get after is really focused on things that the government would take delivery of normally on a program. So in a program, every uh, contract will have a seedrel that has a schedule deliverable on it. Okay, well, I can get the schedule that's in a PDF format or a, you know just a piece of paper that says, hey, here are the milestone dates I'm going to hit, and that's my schedule deliverable. Well, that deliverable is only really valid like the moment it was written, and then after that, it's kind of old and obsolete. What I would like to get is a schedule delivered in a model so that that model is constantly updated. Just like my iPhone, when I put in my Apple Maps, here's the destination I'm going to, it's constantly updating when I'm going to arrive there based on new inputs, traffic crash, you know, whatever. If there's a, a cop running a speed trap, that'll pop up on the phone. It'll give me all the inputs real time as I'm going through the process of getting to my destination. I want the same thing for when I'm getting through the process of my acquisition. I need my schedule to be live all the time. So I want delivery of the model. Now that's a simple example, but we buy really complex things in the Air Force, complex weapons systems. So I would like the model delivered for those complex weapon systems so that my engineers can live inside that model and they can understand all the design choices that are going on throughout, not just at a single point of time, but throughout the entire life cycle of that initiative or that, that program. By doing this, it allows us to make much faster decision trades 
and to be able to adjust real time to what we see the contractor doing, they're going down a path that may not be the path because they may not have a piece of information that we just got in or who knows what, the threat might've changed just recently. And instead of having to wait till like a PDR or some type of like big milestone review to be able to provide that information to them or know they're going down a certain path, we're seeing it real time. We can do that with almost every seed rule that we have on a contract. Instead of taking the paper copy or the PDF version of that, I want to deliver it in a model. So anything that can be delivered in a model, that's what I'm talking about with this Tools for All initiative. Therefore, the vendors need to do what with the tools they would normally just sell you and you would take a license to? So the vendors, there's two types of vendors in this scenario. You have tool vendors that make their software, and then you have what the government normally buys, right? We buy a kinetic end product. We buy an airplane, we, we buy bombs, we buy stuff that we use in the warfighting mission. And that's kind of what the business of the Air Force is. We need to find a way to leverage the good business tools, and that's what the tool vendors are providing, to be able to buy those end products better. So uh, I want to make sure we keep those two lines kind of in our head as I talk to the rest of this. In the tools for all vision, the tool vendors are going to actually give the Air Force all their tools at an enterprise level. So I don't have to worry about how many licenses I need to buy, which program has all the funding that can buy those specific tools. And my engineers are on those, but I move that engineer to another program. That program doesn't have that same tool. I just wasted all my skill set of this great engineer that learned how to use this really cool digital tool because the new program doesn't have it and they don't have funding to go buy it. I get rid of the palm problem where I have to plan five years out for the software that I'm trying to buy that doesn't exist yet. And I get out of the guessing game of what training I should be purchasing, how many seats for training. And the tool vendors, on their hand, they have a unique role, right? So they develop the tool and that costs them a certain amount of money. But once they have it developed, there's a deployment thing where, okay, if I put out 100 copies of a tool or 10,000 copies of a tool, does it cost that tool vendor anything extra? Probably not a whole bunch extra, if anything. It's, it's really the same tool. Now you're interacting with that tool and, and feeding it data and hopefully making that tool better. But from a tool vendor's perspective, what they have to do is get adoption. You know, it's great to have like the most capable tool in the world, but if nobody's using it, it's relatively worthless. Not to disparage anyone's great coding ability, but like if no one's using it, it doesn't have a purpose. So I want to give everyone the opportunity to get their tool used. And the government is a great place because we have such large data sets and we buy such complex things for these unique complex model-based tools to be utilized. So they're going to get value out of their tool being utilized, not having to worry about who can sell into the government better. Now, these tool vendors still need to make money, um, and I'm fully aware of that. So my plan is to uh, prescribe to the program offices a list of all the different software tools that we have enterprise licenses for. Now, they will be required when they select their seed rules to actually pick a file format, a proprietary file format of one of these software tools for each one of their seed deliverables. All right, so I put a seed on contract for, you know, Boeing or Northrop or, you know, my, my, the people I buy stuff from to get that Kinetic and product. You know, I'm going to take, uh, there's going to be schedules, there's going to be all sorts of reports, financial data, all the stuff I need to get. And those are all seed we'll have on contract. If each one of those had a proprietary file format from the tool vendors that I knew I had enterprise-wide licenses for, the uh, deliverable that comes back to me from the Northrop, the Boeing, whatever defense contractor, it actually comes back to me in a file format that I know I can read and I can leverage. That means that defense contractor has to figure out a way 
to either one, develop natively in the software that I asked them to build it in, or find a way to convert to that file format. In either scenario, they're having to work with the digital tool vendor's software, and that's where I think the money exchange should occur. What has industry reaction been so far? This is a fairly new uh, gambit you've launched. So we had a uh, an industry session. I forget how many people were on there. Maybe close to 100 different industry partners came online. We had some of the large companies to some just regular small upstart tool vendors. We actually didn't get a single piece of pushback of like, hey, this is an untenable model. Where I was expecting some pushback was, hey, what if I give you my software? It never makes it onto a contract or onto someone's seed rule. So therefore, no vendors are actually interacting with my software and I'm not getting paid for it. I put back to that question, which it wasn't asked, but if it would have been asked, it would have been that if the government decided not to ever select your software for a seed rule, we never would have bought your software to begin with because we're not going to use it. We want to be able to leverage the best of breed and the right software for the right seed rule deliverable. That's really important. That means that we could have 10 different, again, we use stick with the schedule software or schedule model, 10 different scheduling tools. For certain things, certain schedule tools might be better than other ones. Certain government users may have better adoption or like knowledge of how to use certain tools, and they may kind of tend towards that one. So some of those schedule softwares may never be selected, and that's okay. The people that gave us an enterprise-wide license for that software, it didn't really cost them much if we're not using their software to give it to us. So you kind of had a net zero there. That scenario is kind of handled. One more practical question. Does all of this fit within the contract writing system that the Air Force uses? Because some of those things are like concrete. Yeah, so this is pretty tricky. We have, or the way we're going to roll this out to start is uh, through other transaction agreement. So 10 USC 2371B is a unique other transaction agreement authority that we have to play with. It's a prototyping authority. And here I want to prototype how this uh, business model works between industry and the government and us actually having access to relevant software. Under this arrangement, we can go make a business deal with industry. And the business deal or the proposition that I'm offering up to tool vendors uh, are that, hey, you give me an enterprise software license, we'll put you on a list of software that can be used directed in Cedrals, right? At the end of the day, and this is getting to another part of that problem for the defense contractors. If I tell them what software to deliver in, they could say, well, I don't know how to use that software or I don't have that software. Well, that makes them go buy it makes them go get trained on it. Uh, but more importantly, it ensures that we don't get software deliverables that we can't read. You'd be shocked to find out how many times, and this is what normally happens actually. In the Cedra, we say contractors formats acceptable. So they can deliver in whatever file format they want. And you'd be shocked to find out how many times they build it in a model, deliver us the model, but we don't actually have the software to read the model. We might've spent $10 million on the Cedra deliverable and it comes in a format we can't read. Wow. Or if we can't read it, we have to do this verification validation. That's the government's job of the Cedro. We check to make sure that it did what it was supposed to do. This delivery came in. That creates chaos, right? In the government, it happens all the time. So that's the first problem. The second problem is the contractor knows we don't have the software to read it. So what do they do? They go and take PDF screenshots of this beautiful model that they built. Completely useless. And that's what they deliver to us. So both of those scenarios are bad. And it's obvious to me, and hopefully it's obvious to all your listeners, that industry can adapt much faster to change. You know, one of the comments we got through our event that we held was that we're asking industry to effectively be proficient with all software types. 
all the time. And my pushback to them was, right now, that's what industry is asking the government to do. Right. And we are way less capable of doing that than industry is, partly because of our funding strategy and just the way, how quickly we can roll stuff out. The bigger the bureaucracy, the harder the change. It strikes me this solves a number of problems. One, the so-called color of money problem when it comes to software. And two, the Air Force's push toward that digital modeling of everything, including, like you say, hardware software, kinetic platforms, and making the digital tools fit into that overall model for what the ultimate thing you're buying is, because you buy computers to run software, you run software to do something in the real world. So it helps that real world problem. And then it also sounds like there's a sync problem, a matchup problem, and a cost problem that everybody shares that you've kind of figured a way around. Is that a fair way to maybe sum it up? Absolutely. I think it's an elegant solution to a complex problem. It gets back to if we think differently about how we face our problems, we can solve any problem in front of us. And the government needs to get back to that kind of like grassroots, specifically the Air Force. There's a reason that there's a Space Force. It's because we had a culture problem in the Air Force. We couldn't innovate fast enough. And we have to get back to that. Like, how do we think through these really complex problems? Let's just try a whole bunch of really off-the-wall ideas and see what sticks. And asking industry or uh, digital tool vendors to give us their stuff for free, like, that is an off-the-wall idea that actually, I think, has tremendous legs. And we have not gotten any real pushback from industry. They're actually really excited. I've had multiple companies reach out to me saying, hey, here's my enterprise-wide license. Please get me on the list. We're not quite ready for that. We have to actually write an OT. You know, there has to be some consideration. The government can't get anything for free. We're working through that. We have an agreements officer. We're working through what will be called an invitation to participate. We used this once before in the government or maybe twice before on something called the light attack experimentation campaign. I was the agreements officer for that. And we actually got industry to give us airplanes and we gave them no money. But instead, we gave them the opportunity to go through and get a military type certificate for those airplanes. And it was a really cool program and lots of good stuff came out of it. We kind of proved out the authority. We're following that same model for the digital tools for all and how we're going to get this stuff with at no cost, but still provide a tremendous amount of value to the tool vendors. Right. And if you decide not to use that tool, then you ship all of the copies and clear your servers of it and so forth, because there's always that fear that somehow the government will keep using it for free just because copies get made. And Yeah. If you think about how the government operates, like especially when it comes to cedral deliverables, we are a cedral reviewer. So that makes us uh, really a light user of any tool. You know, we're not the guy out there developing the airplane inside the model. You know, there, there might be a few engineers that are even capable of that in the government, but normally we're reviewing what some really smart people built. And even if we kept the software tool for forever on our servers and we're, we're not really using it the way they were designed, we only use it to review what comes in because we're not the ones building the airplanes. We're not the ones designing the bombs. That's a really critical aspect to understand and kind of shows where the money responsibility should be at for the purchasing of these tools. Now, the other problem I want to, or another solution that I think we highlight is not just the palm problem, right? Like we're still going to pay for these tools from the standpoint of if I dictate a tool to Boeing, Boeing is going to then upcharge whatever uh, in their contract, their indirects or directs, depending on how it's, you know, if they already have the tool or not, they're going to upcharge that program for the use of that tool in some capacity, right? Nothing's for free in the government. But what it does is that opens up the entire wallet of the Air Force to be able to go buy digital tools. Instead of right now, I have to go palm for specific money, specific space of tool to go get it. And then I got to guess how many trainings and everything else I need. 
now I have the entire wallet. So yeah, Boeing upcharged me a little bit, but that money's already programmed. There's already been lobbyists that have got that money set in place in this five-year POM process. So it's not a big deal that they upcharge us a little bit of money for the software tool, especially because we actually have the right software now. We have access to it. Right, and you won't get a download of 500 PDFs that are useless to you. And you mentioned there's been very little pushback from industry. They see the advantages. I mean, what about pushback from Air Force brass? Because that can be a pretty stodgy bunch, too. The biggest opposition I've gotten has come from inside the government because it's just a different way of doing business. When I tell them we're going to get everything for free, they're like, that's not a thing. I said, look, I've done it before with airplanes. We can definitely do it with software. That's way cheaper to provide for free. And then we start breaking down on what's the business model look like. Uh, so we got actually pretty good support inside the building, inside the digital transformation office. Certainly, we have a great leadership team there that has empowered us to go down this path and, and try it. If it fails, what, what have we lost, really? But if it succeeds, we've literally rewritten the way we should be planning and spending money, especially with digital tools, to a point where I've freed up billions of dollars. And there's a lot of spend that goes into digital tools right now. All very dispersed, all very siloed, not cohesive. We've changed that. And then what more capability can we provide on the kinetic side? What better connectivity can we provide? All these things that the money could be spent on. I've worked the POM process for the last couple cycles for the Digital Transformation Office. We came out as the top funding priority for AFMC, you know, one of the larger commands, for the last three years, and we've been zeroed out corporately in the POM every year. So now that's already pushes us three years behind trying to get you know the right capabilities in place. Instead, I don't want to have to ask the Air Force corporately to make these tough decisions on what to fund, what not to fund. I want to free up funding for them to be able to make the right decisions on what to fund by giving us all the tools. And you'll see pretty quickly that if industry uh, does adopt this model, we will speed up so much faster our development cycles where we're pushing out more and more capability to the field. And that's good for everybody. Vince Pecorero is lead program manager in the Digital Transformation Office of the Air Force. Hey, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks, Tom. It was great being here. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Fly the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Reconnect with a carpool or vanpool. Even if you're commuting just a few days a week, Commuter Connections can match you with others that live and work near or at the same place as you. Prefer taking the bus or train? There's never been a better time to reconnect with transit. Plus, you have the added comfort of knowing Guaranteed Ride Home is there for any unexpected emergency for free. For more options, visit commuterconnections.org or call 1-800-745-RIDE. Some restrictions apply. Kristen here, reminding you not to do things. What I mean is, with same-day delivery for everything from gifts to groceries, you only have to do the things you want to do. To not do the other things, visit shipped.com. That's S-H-I-P-T dot com.